This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joined with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point this morning, as well as those who watch us on television all over Wisconsin and around the world on the internet. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. Trust you all had a fabulous holiday with family and friends this Christmas and that you got whatever it was that you wanted to get. Anyway, this morning we're picking up uh, at 2 Kings in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. So give you a little background here. Um, when King David, this is the one who killed Goliath and wrote all those Psalms, the great King David, uh, during his kingdom, all of Israel was united together, all 12 tribes from the north all the way down to the south. It maintained that way uh, throughout his lifetime and throughout the lifetime of his son Solomon. <clears throat> but after that, then there was a split, north and south split from each other. People always having one thing or the other they love to fight about. So it wound up as a divided kingdom, and it stayed that way. Uh, there were the ten tribes to the north called Israel. That's who we're going to be focusing on in today's account. The southern group was called Judah. It consisted of Judah and the other tribe, Benjamin. And uh, they were the southern side. Now, the southern group uh, stayed true to the line of David. They made sure that every king that came was through uh, the Davidic line. And they were the more devout uh, believers. They were the ones who were very strict, maintaining that line, tried to really keep the purity. They resisted intermarrying with other nations around them. Um, and they became the strongest uh, of the two. Eventually, the northern kingdoms were basically wiped out uh, they were up in Samaria and stuff. They were the ones who eventually became the Samaritans. We read about the Good Samaritan, or we talked a few weeks ago about the Samaritans, the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman. Uh, they kind of got jacked up in their perspective. Jesus 
said to the Samaritan woman, you know, you guys don't really know what you're talking about when it comes to worshiping God because they kind of got jacked up. Uh, but they were basically, you know, still related to the Jews. I mean, they were part of uh, Abraham's seed, but they kind of got all messed up. The Jews, because they came from Judah, that's where the word Jew comes from, they were the ones uh, that maintained the line as best as they could. In fact, uh, even though there was no king after they came back from the Babylonian disbursement, they came back, for those of you who know the history, uh, they came back, and when they came back, they were now occupied by other nations. And when Jesus was born, they were still occupied. The Romans were occupying them. But they still kept track of uh, their history and who came from whom, particularly of the line of David. Now, oftentimes you'll read in the Gospels someone calling out to Jesus, Oh, son of David, uh, they, Jesus came from a very prestigious family. It would be like you know, you're a Kennedy or some big line family in, in American history. Uh, they all knew who Jesus and his family were. They were all from the line of David. It was kind of a big deal. So they recognized him as such. So anyway, the two divided kingdoms, uh, Israel eventually uh, completely got wiped out and stuff. But um, throughout the book of Kings and, and Chronicles, if you read it in the Old Testament, it's telling us a story that goes for about 400 years. This is twice the time the U.S. has been in a country is when these kings were ruling in these two countries. So anyway, they had different kings, they had different prophets that came. Uh, Israel had two of his most notable prophets were Elijah, who was uh, quite a powerful prophet, and Elisha, also extremely powerful. They did amazing things. We'll uh, visit them from time to time to show you uh, some of the things that they did. Elijah eventually was taken up into heaven in, in a chariot, <laughs> you know. He had a dramatic exit. Woo, that's the way to go, right? So, uh, uh, so anyway, but Elijah was actually kind of comical in the way that he would do things, and Elisha as well. They were real butt-kicking prophets, but had a bit of a sense of humor, which I enjoy reading about. So anyway, so this is the situation. We're now talking about the, it, about Israel, the northern kingdom, and Aram was at war with Israel. They were always at war with somebody. Uh, so anyway, the king of Aram would get together with his officers, and he said, I will set up my camp in such and such place. So they were at war. So he's strategizing with his leaders, and they're planning out how to do things and stuff. But uh, every time they would come up with their plan of attack or whatever, God would tell Elisha, the current prophet, what the plan was. And then he would tell the king of Israel. And then they would avoid it. So it says here that the, uh, after he made his plan, the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing at such and such place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked down the place indicated by the man of God. A time and time, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. So no matter what plan they came up with in their secret little concave there as their battle plans, God would tell Elisha, Elisha would tell the king, and Israel would not fall into the trap. Well, this is driving the king of Aram nuts. How can they possibly know what's going on all the time? So the enraged king of Abraham, he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Somebody in this room is a traitor. There is no way 
They can possibly know what we're always up to because that's what's going on. Somebody here is a rat. And then one of his officers, I'm sure they're all scared to death, you know. You didn't take off these kings, they'd kill you like that. And uh, one of them spoke up and says, it was none of us, my Lord. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, how he knew this, I don't know. Except that, you know, people got big mouths, so I'm sure that everybody in Israel was talking it up. This is awesome. Everything goes, some plan, Elisha tells the king, we're smart, we're out with them. And the word gets out and finally gets through. People are hearing about this. This guy hears what's going on and says, it's that prophet. So the king says, well, go find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. If he's messing stuff up, we got to deal with this guy. So the report came back, well, he's in Dothan. So he sends horses and chariots and a strong force. So he sends his, you know, elite special forces group. And they go in by night and they surround the city of Dothan where Elisha's hanging out. When the servant of the man of God, in other words, uh, you know, this is the guy who works for Elisha. He, you know, he mows the lawn. I don't know what he does. So he's, he's out there. And he comes out in the morning. And um, yeah, he gets up early the next morning. And he sees an army with horses and chariots that surrounded the city. So he freaks. This is bad. This is not good. All of a sudden, here's the enemy. They're at their doorstep. And he freaks, as one would expect. And he goes, oh, no. What are we going to do? That's what the servant cries out. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, <laughs> where circumstances in your life are all going south, that everything you planned went badly, nothing worked out the way that you thought it was, and you just kind of feel overwhelmed, and all you can do is cry out and say, oh, no. What are we going to do? Sometimes it's hard to know what to do. Life can be very, very challenging. And things can be very unexpected. You can plan for the very best. You don't know what's coming. Life is unexpected as a Donald Trump tweet. Hard to know what's going to come next. God knows. But anyway, we are at the end now of... 2018. I, for one, am glad <laughs> I wanted to go away. It's been a tough year. Uh, as most of you know, it's a year where I said goodbye to a previous life and now saying hello to a new life, uh, still doing all the traveling and speaking that we do, as well as leading uh, this great church uh, here in Wisconsin Celebration Church. Uh, things did not always go as I had planned and had hoped this last year, as is typically the case, despite our best plans. Sometimes, despite your best intentions, things don't turn out the way that you had hoped. Well, what do you do? You adapt. You, <laughs> sometimes you cry out to God, Oh, God, what are we going to do? And, uh, and ask Him for wisdom, and He shows us and gives us wisdom. Uh, it was a lot of changes this year. I, I had lost some friends that I thought were my friends. In the end of the day, they weren't. Uh, the good news is I found some new, wonderful friends that uh, have really blessed my life. Uh, my family dynamics have changed rather dramatically now. I got a whole new set of in-laws. <laughs> but, yeah, but they're awesome. They're great. I, I actually like them, and they like me because 
you know, they, they don't know me yet. And, uh, uh, and of course, the gossip mill has been churning over time. I don't know if you've heard some of the crazy stuff over the last year, but uh, it's been interesting, if nothing else. I actually got a, a card this week from uh, someone in another church who wrote me to tell me about all the rumors and questions about me in the city. Who does that? Isn't it? I mean, bless their hearts, but it's kind of creepy, isn't it? Anyway, so I thought, you know, okay, I will answer some of the questions. This is not for my sake, because I don't really care what people think about me, uh, which irritates them quite a bit, actually. You know, there are people, most of you are normal human beings, unlike myself. And, uh, and, and most people, when, when you know somebody doesn't like you, it bothers you, right? So-and-so doesn't like me, that really kind of bothers and it kind of ticks them up. Well, I don't like when those guys don't like me. I, I'm missing that gene. I don't know what's wrong. Someone tells me they don't like me, I go, okay. I wonder what's on TV. You know, it's just, I sleep fine. I know it irritates, because part of the fun of being ticked off at someone is that they know that you're ticked off. And you have that power over them. And they do that to me, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't stick. I don't know. Something wrong with me. But it, yeah, well, yeah, you clap <laughs> until you get ticked at me, and I don't care. So anyway, uh, but so for their sake, uh, you know, uh, you know, because people watch us on TV and around here, and uh, I thought I'd answer some of these, and, and maybe you've heard some of these, but uh, some of the questions, Pastor, these are the questions. About, we got a small town, and people want to know these questions. So, you know, are you married or not? Yes, I, I married. Uh, what, what, yeah, thank you. Well, well, why didn't you tell everybody the details? Be, because it's none, none of your business, I guess. I don't know. I, I just, you know, and again, clapping, thank you. I got the cheerleader section going here in this service. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, Pastor Joe and Kate just got married. They had the big, you know, down the aisle and stuff like that, which is great. A lot of people do that. We didn't want to do that. You know, you got two new families. They don't even know each other yet. The dynamics are a little nuts. We said, so we just eloped, you know, which is, and there we go for the crowd. Okay, all right. So you don't have to keep clapping for all this, but I'm just telling you what we did. And, uh, uh, so that's why no one knew because we didn't tell anybody. We eloped. Can you do that? Yeah, sure. It's not against God. It's just, it was easier, more peaceful considering the situation. Uh, Pastor P, I don't know, do your kids approve? Well, uh, first time I got married, I, I didn't check with them. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I didn't check with them this time either. And, and if I go through several more, I ain't checking with them any of the times. All right? Uh, they don't have to live with them. I got to live with them. So it's pretty much my choice. All right? So, and I know people, they think differently. They, they wouldn't, they say, you know, uh, if I'm thinking about getting married, but I want to see what my kids think. That's fine. That's their life. Everybody's got their own life, and they deal with stuff. I just, <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't check with them. Uh, so that's the answer to that one. You know, and, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I married the first girl I ever dated. And I married the second girl I ever dated. If I ever date you, look out, man, because it moves. <laughs> Things move fast. I don't, don't mess around. <sighs> Why are you having a reception on New Year's Eve? First of all, I'm thinking, 
How do they know I'm having a reception on New Year's Eve? But the answer is because there's nothing else to do on New Year's Eve. It's Green Bay, what else do you do around here? 15, 20 years I've been in this city. There's nothing ever to do on New Year's Eve. And to be honest with you, I can't get anybody to stay awake. I, I got friends 10 to 15, 20 years younger than me. All of them go to bed by 9.30. Say, Wake up, people. Come on. What in the world? So we thought, we'll, do, we'll do New Year's Eve. So. People want to know who's invited. Well, if you have to ask that question, apparently you weren't invited, you know, so who's invited? I don't know, whoever, you know, I want to invite everybody. I can't, we don't, can't even have room for everybody. It's, it's a little painful. We only have room for like 240 people. We invited 500 people. Every time they said, sorry, we can't make it, I'm going, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. They set up right about 240. Did it? It was kind of perfect. I, was, I don't know what we'd have done. They all said, yeah. <laughs> oh, we taking out a second mortgage. Anyway, so uh, people in town want to know if only the big givers, the really big givers in your church were invited. Well, we got 240 people. We don't have 240 really big givers here. We, we don't have 140 really big givers here. We, we don't even have 40 really big givers here. You know, I'm glad for the few that we have. The bad part is it's few. But no. Who thinks like this? I don't know how much people give. I don't want to know. I want to be able to look at you and like you. The only time I know is when somebody complains about money or if they complain about talking about money. Then I go to the office and say, hey, how much do they give? Overwhelmingly, they give little to nothing. Five bucks a week. I mean, it's just nothing. So I, that's when I found out, seriously, it's always the ones that don't give anything that whine about the giving. Anyway, but I don't know. You don't know. Joe doesn't know. Nobody. Bob knows. Look out for Bob. He's looking at you. He knows what's happening. Only the big givers. <sighs> Pastor, if you want to know if you're having some kind of midlife crisis. <sighs> well, considering I'd have to live to 120 to qualify for a midlife crisis. You know, I'm really closer to an end-of-life crisis than I am... It's kind of, kind of sad, isn't it? You hit a point where, oh, the end's closer than you want it to be. Although I hope to be here for another 40 years to keep irritating people like this. And uh, so, anyway. People want to, what would Debbie say if she were here? Well, if Debbie were here and I was marrying another woman, she'd probably beat me half to death, probably. <laughs> be my guess. <laughs> I know her pretty well. I think she would disapprove. But, uh, but she's not here, which is kind of the point. That's why we got here in the first place. And people, you know, you have no idea how many people have come to me and talked to me about this. People who've lost spouses and stuff. How many relatives are still mad at them because they went and got married again. You know, marriage is not forever. It's not. I know in the chick flicks and stuff it is. 
right? You know, people are married. We're married forever. No, no, Jesus said there is no marriage in heaven, which is one of the reasons it's called heaven. You know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> you don't got to answer to anybody. Look, I'm all for marriage. I like it. I signed up right away again. I'm a big fan, but there's, it, it doesn't go past death. And if you have some relatives or somebody in your family and you're still ticked at them because they moved on after somebody, to, shame on you. Stop it. Leave them alone. The promises was until death. That's the rule. That's the way it works. Now, some people stay single after. That's, their, that's your choice. Marriage is always a choice. I've taught you this for years. It's not some divine edict. Okay, you make your choice. You want to stay single, you stay single. You get married, you want to get married. Just, you know, don't be dumping on somebody. I know people, it's been 10 years, 10 years since their spouse has died and their family's still mad at them for moving on. You know, don't do that to people, okay? And the final question, pastors, people honestly want to know if you're losing your marbles. One would have to have marbles in order to lose them. And I don't know that I've ever had any marbles. So I don't know. So hopefully that helps somebody out there. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, and obviously I am, you know, there's been a whole lot of days where I felt like Elijah's servant, where you walked out and it seemed like, oh, man. Look at the circumstances. Look at the armies coming against me. And all you can do is cry out to God, Oh, Lord, what do I do? You see, when we look at our present circumstances, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. At times, life is just flat out overwhelming. It is. That's why we're just passing through this place. You know, I've heard people say, You know, Pastor, I just think heaven's here on earth. If this is your version of heaven... It sucks to be you because this place is hard. It's hard. Life is hard. We've just come through a year. I'm hoping this next year will be the best year any of y'all, including me, have ever had. Amen. <laughs> Having said that, some of y'all are going to have the worst year you ever had in your life. Be, sorry to be the bearer of bad news. I hope it's not you, but just somebody. You know, life is unpredictable. You don't know what's coming. That's why you want to be in a place of faith. Trust God. Just, you know, a lot of people just go through life. Do, 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 do. Like everything's going to stay and they're not very strong in their faith with God and stuff. These are the people when it hits the fan, it is nasty. Stay strong in your faith because you want someone who's going to stand with you when things go wrong. You know, you don't know what's coming, but God does. All right. I wish he'd give us a heads up. But he kind of did. He said, look, in this life, you're going to have tribulation. Well, there's not a promise anybody wants to quote in the morning. <laughs> Today, I'm going to have tribulation. <laughs> but it's the truth. He says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Life is hard. The good news is we die. Seriously. <laughs> People say, that's not like good news. Of course it is. This place is rough. You know, we have it easy in America. But life generally is, it can be very challenging. We pass through here the best we can, giving glory to God, putting our trust and faith in him. And the good news is he'll never leave you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's times where you feel like God has left you. There's times where you feel, anybody feel like that? You feel totally alone. It's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what has happened. I didn't pick this. I didn't choose this. 
Oftentimes, some of the biggest troubles that come into our lives are things that are forced on us. You know, there's some stuff, stupid stuff happens because of some stupid we did. At least that I get. <laughs> Whoops. Should have done that. But sometimes you get things where it's just it's beyond your control. You didn't sign up for this. But you know what? God is always with us, and we can always trust him. You can always cry out to God. The Bible says if you lack wisdom and when you don't know what to do, ask God. He will show you if you'll just trust him. I know it feels at times like you're very alone, but you're not. And when this servant came out, he freaked. He looked, and here are all these crack troops, chariots, these hundreds of men. They're coming for them. And he freaks. But Elisha, the old prophet said, verse 16, Ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> There's nothing more irritating than being freaked out. Someone tell you, don't worry about it, <laughs> right? Because you want to worry about it. You know, my wife was great at that. Debbie, you know, I'd be all freaked out. She'd just, ah, it'll be fine. And she'd go to sleep and I'm like, <laughs> at least freak out with me, you know what I'm saying? But she was always right. It was always, it's always going to be okay. God is on our side Prophecies, don't worry about it. Besides, those that are with us are more than are with them. And the servant's got to think, what are you talking about? There is two of us, and there's hundreds of them. And the prophet Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Man, there's a prayer. Sometimes when things look desperate, we just say, God, open my eyes. Help me to see what you see. Perspective is a big deal. When you start to get God's perspective, it's one of the reasons you want to read the Bible. Because when you read the Bible, you start to get God's perspective. He sees things pretty differently than we do sometimes. So Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes so he can see what we see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So like, there's like all these angels, this army of angels are surrounding them, ready to kick butt. And the guy doesn't see it, but Elisha sees it. So he's not freaked out at all. He said, don't worry. We got this made. There's a lot more with us. What are you talking about? Open his eyes, Lord. All of a sudden, he sees God's perspective and realizes, oh, man, we have a massive army protecting us. And if I were Elisha, because I can get cranky, I'd say, go kill them all. <laughs> but he doesn't. As the enemy starts coming to Elijah, because they don't see them. All they see is the two of them. They don't see this army of God ready to strike them. As the enemy starts coming towards Elijah, Elijah prays to the Lord, Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Now, when you read this story, it makes no sense to assume that it's literal blindness. Okay, as you'll see in just a second. Uh, it had to be like blindness of the mind where they, they just didn't know what was going on. So why would you say that? Because all of a sudden, he prays this and God strikes them. So Elisha says, hey guys, this isn't the road. This isn't the city. I know where you're looking. The guy you're looking for, follow me and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And they all went, oh, okay. <laughs> and and it, you know, it's kind of like a Jedi mind trick. These are not the droids you're looking for, right? So, because if they were physically blind, they would all have been freaking out, right? Panicking, I'd panic. 
you know, drop down, you know, follow me. I, follow me. I don't know where you are. I can't even see you. They clearly could still physically see him. They weren't panicked. It was like a blindness of the mind. And Elijah just goes, hey, guys, uh, I'll show you where to go. Go on. They followed him. And he leads them right into Samaria, into the city, which was the enemy territory. So they all go marching right into the heart of the enemy, to their enemy, right up to the king of Israel's uh, fortress. And uh, as after they entered the city, Elijah said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. And of course they're like, ah, <laughs> this is bad. How did we get here? And they're surrounded in the king of Israel. Asked Elijah, Elijah, should I kill them? My father, should I kill them? Because, you know, they're at war with these people. But Elijah, he's got to be having a blast with this, right? These, these, these two prophets really had a sense of humor messing with people's heads. And he says, nah, nah, don't kill them. He says, would you kill those you've captured with your own sword or bow? Tell you what, just set food and water before them so they can eat and drink and then, then go back to their, to their king. So he prepared a great feast for them. Big feasts like Thanksgiving. They got turkey, stuffing, cranberry sauce. But the real cranberry, not, not the stuff with the cranberries in it. No, no. True cranberry sauce still has the marks of the can around it. You know what I'm talking about? That, that's holy cranberry. The rest is an abomination. You know, this, this is true stuff I grew up with, you know. So. <laughs> I always insist on having that stuff. It's just, it's not, you know, it I love it. It's true cranberry sauce to me. So anyway, you know, they, they, they had a nice meal. They watched some football. And, and then he sends them away. And they return to their master. And what happens? So the bands of Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. You know, sometimes the most effective thing you can be to someone who is trying to hurt you is to be nice to them. Now, don't misunderstand me. I do think there are times that you have to stand up and get in people's faces that are doing bad things. All that evil needs to triumph is for good people to do nothing. If we were the kind of people that never stood up to aggression, we'd all be speaking German today or Japanese from Second World War. I mean, you have to stand up against stuff. And even in people's lives, sometimes you got to stand up and, you know, I know, turn the other cheek and stuff, but sometimes there's the times where you actually got to throw the emotional punch and get people to stop what they're doing. I understand that. And I encourage that. A lot of people actually make this mistake. They are so in an effort to maintain peace that at the end of the day, they have no peace in their lives because they never stand up. Uh, couples at times need to get in each other's faces in their marriage. If you're the kind of uh, people in your marriage where you never bring up things that are bothering you, at some point, your marriage will fall apart. It'll always fall apart. These little squabbles and fights that couples have is actually good for them, okay? Hey, this is bug me. I don't like it. I don't like you. Ah, and then you finally make peace, and uh, that's all healthy. But sometimes the best thing you can do when someone is just being mean and nasty to you is just be nice back to them. Say, so how do I know the difference? Well, that's where you pray, and you ask God for wisdom. And in this particular situation, the war came to an end at this time because Elisha was nice to these guys. He could have killed them all. 
They didn't have a chance. Instead, he had a big meal, sent them home, and the Bible said, so the bands of Aram stopped raiding Israel's church. Well, they eventually started raiding. I mean, there's, at times, these wars never ended, but uh, uh, it's a fascinating situation. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I, for one, I'm, I'm celebrating that this year is over. <laughs> I'm hoping this next one goes a lot smoother. But whatever happens, you know, let's be there for each other. One of the great things about being part of church is that we don't have to do this alone. We have people that we can be friends with, that we can pray for. The Bible encourages us to carry each other's burdens. Uh, we shouldn't have to be doing life alone. That's why we encourage people to get involved, get involved in small groups and different things in the church, different ministries, volunteering. Get to know people so that you can share your life with people. Uh, and whatever challenge is facing, again, we're starting a new year, everything resets, everything's fresh and new, and people make resolutions and all that other kind. I, don't, I gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> I don't do resolutions. But it's a new year, and it's a fresh slate. But there are, there's things coming. We don't know what's coming. There's all kinds of version of crazy challenges the church will run into that we never ran into before, challenges that you'll run into you never ran into. Stuff's going to happen you couldn't even think of. Uh, but the good news is that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. As long as we stand firm as a family of faith, we can encourage each other, carry each other's burdens, and in the end, if we'll trust God, he'll always be there for us and make peace. Amen. I'm going to encourage our uh, ushers to come forward and get ready to serve communion this morning at our various campuses. It's what we do uh, every Sunday, and certainly we're going to end this year taking communion together. This is when we reflect on what all of this is about. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. His body was broken so we could be made whole. So who needs to be made whole? Man, some of us all need to be made whole. There's times where you feel as broken as you can ever feel. The good news is that he'll always put you back together again. His blood was shed so that we could wash the slate clean. So no matter where you're at this morning, we want to encourage you to join with us uh, in, in communion. We're going to say a prayer together. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you've been in church all your life, but you've never really surrendered your heart to God. We're going to pray this prayer together. And if you'll pray this prayer and really mean it, you can take your first steps of faith this morning and start really experiencing this wonderful thing. Life without God is really harsh. It's real. I mean, it's harsh anyway. But without God, man, you're on your own. And that's a cold feeling. With Christ in your life, He's always there. And you can trust Him. He'll answer prayers. He turns things around. That's the huge difference. If you've never really experienced it, I'm going to pray this prayer and I ask you to pray this with me. And maybe you can ask Christ into your life today and you can start your first steps of faith. Let's all bow our heads together and pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you love me so much. You went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me. I surrender my heart to you. 